Welcome to Drinks at Work from Boothby. I'm Sam Bygrave. This week, I'm talking to the maiden eye vermouth and marionette liqueurs founder, Sean Byrne, about his career, but also about the Australian Distilled Spirits Awards, of which he is now the new head judge, having taken over from Sebastian Costello, who in turn took over from me. The ADSA, as it's often known, is the biggest spirits judging competition in Australia, and I think it's the most reputable. They have a mix of bartenders, writers, retail buyers, and distillery industry folks on their many panels as judges, and it's a pretty robust system that they have in place. So I talked to Sean about the awards, and this was actually recorded back in July, just before the judging took place. Sean got his start as a bartender, eventually working at the iconic Melbourne bar, Gin Palace, for eight years under the late and great Vernon Chalker. And we talk a bit about how he went from bartender to booze maker. All right, let's get into it now. Here's my chat with Sean Byrne. Sean Byrne, thanks for joining me on Drinks at Work from Boothby. Sam Bygrave, lovely to be here. Uh, you've gone from being a bartender to a, a brand owner with marionette liqueurs and made an eye vermouth. You're also the new head judge for the Australian Distilled Spirits Awards, and I really want to get into that a bit later. But mm-hmm. before we do get to that, let's get into your origin story a bit. How did you come to be in the world of drinks in the first place? Um, I kind of, I guess, probably the same story you get from everyone you talk to you kind of just fall into it don't you it's um just one of those oh, things bar, yeah yeah <laughs> you know my first job sammy was at pancake parlor at where pancake parlor is like, that a- you, you might not have them up in sydney but we've got yeah. a few down here but uh they're pa- you get pancakes and you some of them are 24 hours but you can go through there and get pancakes whenever you oh, get yeah so post midnight you get a certain type of crowd coming in. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that was my origins in hospitality. So that was when I was 16 years old. So we're talking – Oh, was that your first job? It was my thing. first job. And as uh, soon as I was able to uh, to mix the drinks, um, uh, I got promoted to up the ranks. And drinks for me at Pancake Parlor was a little bit different to cocktail making today. It was mostly spiders <laughs> oh, um, right. that we were making. Uh, so – not everyone knows what a spider is. Who, no, know, they if, don't. If from, yeah, it's an Australian overseas. thing, right? I, well, I mean, I think everyone's done it somewhere, but I guess we yeah. call it a spider. Or ice cream soda, I guess, would probably be the, for, for yeah. somebody stateside. But, um, yeah, it's basically just ice cream and, and lolly water or soft drink. Um, yeah, but, my kids uh, love them now. Yeah, they're the best. What's Do you have a particular flavor that you like the most? Oh, green. Green. And it's not lime flavor, but it's green flavor. It's green flavor. It's what green tastes like. That's right. <laughs> it's like blue. What does blue taste like? <laughs> and then when, when did you get into the world of bars then? Um, bars so, tender. yeah, after after that stint and then um, uh, I went, went into nightclubs, um, uh, started out as a bussy um, and had one arm that was bigger than the other from carrying racks of glass around. Yep. Contrary to popular belief, I used to do the hard yakka a long time ago <laughs> before I started delegating all my work. Yeah. Um, and then I did a stint overseas uh, over in London. I was there for four years um, and worked for the John Lewis Group and got sent around the country to open little cafes and restaurants in their department store chains, which was oh, pretty wow. cool. And then um, back to Melbourne for probably my most famous stint, which was a gin palace for a short stint of eight years, um, working <laughs> with the wonderful Vernon Shawker and Benny Luz. Yeah. Um, and it was, I guess, uh, that, that was when my serious bartending started, I guess, with, uh, with actually understanding, you know, that the drinks world evolves more than spiders. Um, yeah, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, what was it about Gin Palace that made that place special? Because it was, it was, it was about that was or dedicated to gin in yeah. the '90s. It opened up well before gin was cool. Yeah. Um, what was it? What did you? It, what was it, it like working there? 
But it was, it was wonderful. Like there's a reason I stayed there for eight years. It was um, the environment. It was just uh, it was a great place to work. Um, very well supported from you know the late Fern and Chalker. Um, mm. to move up the ranks and Benny Luz to, you know, took the reins consequently and he, you know, same mentality, always look after the staff and uh, the staff will thus provide, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you know, nothing was uh, out of the ordinary or, or uncommon or, you know, if you wanted time off, you could get time off. If you wanted more training, you could get more training. If you um, wanted to uh, do anything, really, it was wonderful. And, you know, I consequently started a vermouth brand out of, uh, <laughs> you know, working at Gym Palace because I wanted to make vermouth and yeah. uh, Vernon supported that. So, look, there's a... Some very good things coming out of Jim Palace, um, you know, and to, you see the likes of people that are the alumni that have come from there today and what they're doing, you know, further on, you know, Nick Tessar mm. and, uh, you know, what, what is he, world-class, extraordinaire, creative drinks, wanky name, insert here, of Four <laughs> Pillars, like <laughs> um, you know, Trish Brew and uh, Fever oh, Tree. Uh, Trish Brew, like the best brand ambassador in the country right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, Benny Luz, obviously, and taking down the Empire <laughs> Where he should name the street after himself now. I think he's got four <laughs> venues on Russell Place. So, yeah, Luz Lane, I think. Uh, let's petition the government, eh? I, I think that's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> what was it you took away from working at a place like Gin Palace? What was it um, that has kind of been formative in, in where you are now in your career? Look, it's, it's all about the people. You know, one of the things I was proudest of was spending time at um, Gin Palace was um, when I was uh, uh, running the show, or so to speak, I was, I was uh, the manager, and uh, I kept the same team for two years. That was yeah. my most proudest achievement, you know, in hospitality, mm. uh, bar none, because if you can keep a team together, it's just a, it's a wonderful thing. You're supporting these people in their working lives and, um, you know, they, they, they want to stay with you. It's quite flattering and, uh, you know, everyone has fun and they're consequently really good mates today, that, that, that particular team and, and even anyone that I work with over that period of time. So I guess the importance of good staff is probably the uh, – the, the the importance um, of Gin Palace, which then travel flowed down. The effect was, you know, people are happy to go to work, people are happy to provide good service, you know, yeah. and people are passionate about what they do and they turn up, then everything else falls into place. So, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah. Is that a good answer? Do I get 10 points for that one, Simon? Uh, you, you get a, a gold star. Yes. A gold star. There you go. Yes. Well, let me ask you, what 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 on earth possessed you to want to start an Australian uh, vermouth company with Made and I? At the start, it was uh, you, uh, Vernon Chalker was involved in it. He was, yeah. And, and Giles Lapalus. That's right, and Gilles Lapalus. Yep. Um, last name right? Uh, yeah, you no. got his last name, but his first name wrong. But that's <laughs> okay. okay. Gotcha. Just don't call him Gillies. <laughs> he doesn't like that. Okay, um, gotcha. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so the origin story was, um, as every good bartender does, they start to look at the products in the back bar and starts to re- try to recreate them themselves, um, you mm. know, went through cordials, bitters, et cetera, and uh, yeah. found the – the components of vermouth and did a bit of research, um, which there's not much written in English. Well, at that time, there wasn't much written in English about vermouth um, and yeah. uh, started- what, uh, what year was this, by the way? This is- 12 years ago. So 2010, 2011, yeah. yeah. Um, and started uh, playing around with, you know, the five components of vermouth, the wines and fortifiers and, and spirits and botanicals, etc. cetera, mm. and uh, made her first batch, which was- uh, Probably as good as those green spiders, Sammy. Wasn't very good, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it was uh, it was good enough, uh, 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 I guess, to get some encouragement from Vernon to say, you know, well, you should go and if you if you like what you're doing, go go seek it further. And um, mm. the 
upon more research, you know, it's a pretty big component or pretty important is wine. So you need to have a winemaker and Jill uh, was friends with Vernon at the time and Jill's always got these crazy experiments going on and um, he was consequently at the same time looking at botanicals and wine and stuff like that. We sort of put our heads together, looked at everything in the market that we could and there wasn't the breadth of uh, the vermouth category there is today and um, saw kind of a gap or a niche. Before you guys came out, there was – maybe the big international ones and that's it, right? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it was us and Regal Rogue started about the same time. I'm sure Wardy will tell you he got there first and I'm sure I'll <laughs> tell you I right. got there first. But yeah. <laughs> um, it was around about the same time and uh, there was uh, the only Australian ones was um, De Bordelie doing it in their in their flagons for a, a, a litre and a half for uh, on the shelf at Dan's for 10 bucks a bottle, yeah, right. which I wish I knew about those when I was in um, late high school, um, you know. <laughs> Because it's, it's perfectly serviceable drop. It's um, but uh, yeah, that's uh, so there wasn't much there. And the one thing when we tried all the big internationals was there wasn't really a focus on the base wine. Or the focus on the mm. base wine was that it's the canvas to paint on. Yeah, it was and always like a flabby wine. It's kind of an unremarkable table wine. It was right? neutral. That's right. Yeah. yeah, I mean they 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 strip it back. They make it neutral. I'm not saying that's the wrong way to do it. By the way, I think that's just a, a different approach. And the approach that we wanted to take was. Um, have those wines influence the flavour? So yeah. we've, you know, uh, for you know, for, for for the wanky term, grape to glass, we certainly do that and work with the growers, and we pick a little bit early, um, you know, uh, so we've got an extra level of acid uh, in our base wines mm-hmm. to balance out the sweetness. And I mean, you've tasted the product; it's a, it's suited purpose, but you can taste the wine underneath it, which was kind of important um, for us. And that was our take on vermouth, and it kind of just evolved from there. Our first customer, we never thought it. You know, we're going to push it all through Gin Palace in, in cocktails. Yeah. But our first, uh, Gilles took a bottle out to see Banjo at um, a small restaurant called Attica, you may have heard of. Uh, uh, once or twice, yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm. And he, to, he, see, he, taste, he said, yeah, that sounds great. We'll take your, how many, how much you got? We'll take your first batch, your second batch. And I mean, back then that was 100 bottles or 200 bottles and Still. the third batch. And uh, yeah, we thought that's, if it's good enough for the best restaurant in Australia, maybe we yeah. should launch the product. And ever since then, it's just kind of everything falls into place. We obviously work at it and, you know, we do things that we like and enjoy and we've gone from one product to multiples. We do custom blends and yeah. uh, and everything. But, um, you know, going from selling, you know, being excited about selling a six-pack to now we sell IBCs <laughs> to the distilleries around uh, Australia for their yeah. cocktails. So it's, was, um, was there an overlap there for you uh, working at Gin Palace and working on, on yeah. Man and I? How long did it take you to go full-time? Look, a couple of years, I guess, and um, it yeah. was yeah. We didn't pay ourselves for I think it was about three or four years. Um, yeah. Uh, so it's uh, one thing you know I get asked a lot, particularly by young bartenders that want to move into their own space, and I always say that you know make sure it is your hobby for a little while because don't expect an income out of it. Um, mm. And the same as marionette, you know, it's uh, it took a little while there for, and that's just the nature of the beast because you reinvest your money into the brand to grow it and. Um, Try not yeah. to get caught into any tax loopholes, etc. But uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. um, when it came to uh, when you started, Matt and I, was it just a hobby, or was it? Did you think this could have legs as a business from the get go? I still think it's a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, no, but it's a. Uh, uh, I don't know. Well, again, it's uh, everything just felt right. And somebody asked me the other day on. Um, for another interview that I did, it was something about, oh, yeah, you know, d- people say that you work hard and I'm like, I don't feel like I do work hard because what I'm doing is, you know, th- when I say it, it feels like a hobby, th- there's 
the, the yeah. part element that's true because it, I do enjoy everything we do and creating vermouth and building the brand and seeing it on back bars all around the world, selling back to the Italians and the French. How cool is that? That's amazing, right? Yeah, I know, right? Um, <laughs> so, you know, that, that, that cool stuff. Uh, so I guess, yeah, it's – it's it's a fun hobby, but if you you know the 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 age old term, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. There's mm. and um, I guess we just did things that uh, came to us and worked, never said no, and that's how we built the brand up. Um, you know, yeah. to where it is today. Um, and then you've got this crazy idea to go. All right, I'm going to start a, a vermo- sorry a liqueurs company as yeah. well. So marionette liqueurs. How did that idea come about? What what, that, what did you learn from from the Made and I experience to go, okay, well, let's go do this as well? Well, that, uh, that was definitely very much more purposeful in that um, uh, we'd gone through and we'd seen Made and I grow to where it was, um, uh, understood how the marketplace worked because obviously being a bartender, you're moving into a different industry, um, yeah. uh, selling, selling products, pricing and dealing with all that kind of stuff, taxes, investment in stock, all the boring stuff. But um, mm. uh we had such good relationships with our distributors and um, uh, that we knew that we could have another brand and very purposely got influential and important people on board, you know, and uh, that, as I mentioned before, Nick Tessa, um, you know, uh, Barton to the stars, Lauren Bonkowski, um, designer to the booze stars, um, Hugh Mm. Leach, um, who uh, is a man that will never say no if you ask him nicely enough. So... um, (laughs) The four of us teamed up and uh, and started the brand because we saw a bit of a gap in, I guess, uh, a purposefully uh, a premium fruit liqueurs marketed towards um, uh, 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 working directly with Australian farmers to make cocktail staple liqueurs. There wasn't really yeah. anyone doing or focusing on that in Australia. So we started- No, the, the Australian liqueurs that were around at that time were mostly sort of kind yeah, of synthetic and-, and That's right. Low, 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 low shelf, not top shelf sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, Nick and I are pretty passionate about fruit. We always uh, have been. Um, we both like to eat. <laughs> That's it. That, we're both pretty passionate about fruit is going to be the quote that I use. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, he used to work at a fruit shop um, and uh, I've always eaten a lot. So um, <laughs> we, we, we started purposely picking supplies, you know, looking – through the list, and there's a long list of liqueurs uh, that are necessary to have behind a bar to make cocktail staples, and mm. just started going through them one by one and finding, you know, family-owned businesses or, or farmers um, uh, to support them and uh, use their second-quality fruit to produce um, first-quality liqueurs. Um, and, mm. that's, and when you talk about second-quality fruit for people who don't know, that's what is that? Well, you know, supermarkets uh, poo-poo a lot of things to the point where they'll have, you know, uh, well, bananas is always a good example. The curvature on a banana needs to be a certain curvature um, to be accepted. It needs to be a certain length, size, et cetera, right. um, and the rest of it can just go to waste and go down the drain. Blemishes, yeah. the big one is that we get with our stone fruit is blemishes on the outside of the uh, apricots or, or, or peaches, which you get from hail damage um, during ripening season, which doesn't affect the quality of the fruit at all, but it affects the look. Mm. But we as humans buy with our eyes and, um, uh, you know, we've been led to believe that, fruit needs to look a certain way for it to be tasty, which in fact it doesn't really need to be. It just no. needs to be looking, you know, just needs to be tasty to be tasty. It doesn't need to look tasty. It's what in, it's what's in the middle account, Sammy, you see. <laughs> look look beyond the outside, That's the hard right. and the hard and outside exterior. No, I wouldn't have a wife if I didn't follow, if people didn't follow that rule. So <laughs> yeah. um, do you, 
how, how's Marionette going today? Because you started off with one product, I think, which was the your favorite, the Cassis. Well, yeah, um, I think I'm the unofficial ambassador for this product. Oh, it's very official, mate. Don't worry, <laughs> <laughs> people know. Um, but this 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 creme de cassis that you guys did was just that's right. like just on another level in terms of flavor. Um, yeah, beautiful. so I guess the key elements we look at when we're making our liqueurs, and I think it's up to uh, ten or eleven maybe 12 now, we've done a full kind of a few uh, short run stuff. But um, yeah. is when you're working with one flavor, you really need to lay- layer that flavor. So uh, if you look at the cassis uh, as, a, as an example, we've got um, blackcurrant flavor. If you eat a blackcurrant, that's one flavor. If you cook that blackcurrant, you've got two different types of flavor. Um, yeah. If you just still that blackcurrant, you've got a different distillate flavor as well. which has. So it's about getting different layers of that blackcurrant and then blending that all back together. So the process, mm. you know, in a nutshell is we macerate the black currants in spirit, take those black currants out and put it in sugar, take those black currants out, put it in the still and add water um, and then distill that. Um, so we've got the distillate, we've got the uh, sugar soak, the alcohol soak, and we keep the pot water, which is pretty unique. Right. Um, and that's a cooked lovely flavor that ribena flavor that you love sammy um but it's all about <laughs> well, that's, ribena, yeah. that's right uh, it's all about layering that flavor and that's um because when you've got one fruit to work with then that's what you need to do um yeah. so that's where we kind of started from we apply that with every different uh, liqueur that we do to try and get different facets of it so there's plenty out there now and look mm. marionette's doing wonderful we're currently building a distillery out in thomastown uh, I'm sure those who follow the social medias will start seeing some online um, soon. Um, uh, you know, the long process that goes along with building a distillery, it's not going to happen tomorrow, but uh, uh, hopefully it will happen by the end of the year. Um, and, yeah, it's all things go over there. Yeah. And how does how do you go about, say, I mean, advice for bartenders who might want to get into this, whatever. How do you go about financing this sort of thing? Because you guys started off, with Marionette doing some contract, like distilling stuff, yeah. I guess you're still doing that, right? Yeah, um, and more or less with the the wine, uh, the vermouth as well. Like, I mean, start baby steps, you know, they say. Right. So we, we did contract distilling. Um, we worked quite closely with the contract distillers that we're doing uh, it with. We are working with a craft and co to start off with um, and Seb Rayburn yeah. was the uh, the distiller there and then that time and was influential in the product itself. Mm. Um that's an easy way to get started in the business, and there's plenty of distilleries out there now that uh, that will uh, uh, take your money to help you build your own brand or your own product, and that's a way to mitigate the incredibly expensive setup costs of a distillery. Yeah. <laughs> um, how, do, how do you go to that next phase? Is that just uh, money from sales going back into the business, or are you looking for outside investors, that sort of thing? For us, pretty much, yeah. Just we've, uh, we've taken our time and uh, built our brand up to the point where we've got – you know, uh, uh, we've got. We know that we've got the income coming because we're selling the product, so we can then start mm. to reinvest heavier and heavier. You know, we've every time we do a new product line, it's another heavy investment in that because you've got to invest in the stock, the ingredients, etc. Um, and sometimes it's yeah. hard to pull yourself back in because, as a creative bartender, you just want to create more and more products that you're, you're <laughs> passionate about. Because once you create something. Um, uh, it, it can be pretty boring because it's just press the repeat button every single time. Yeah, it's just process. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so it's the R and Ds. It's a bit of uh, the fun stuff, but uh, that requires investment. But then you know, but it's taken us five years, five or six years, I think, to get to this mm. point now where we we're ready to um, uh, build the distillery. But that's all naturally done, you know, without our, our outside investment and us all having other jobs that we're working on as well. Um, uh, 
except for well, Hugh, Hugh's full time now. Um, he has been for the last six months, and Lauren's pretty much full time now. Oh, cool. Um, uh, which is really cool, but uh, it does take a while. So patience, and uh, might, would be my advice, and enjoy what you're doing. Um, mm. Yeah. Um, well, the approach has been an award-winning one. You've won a bunch of stuff with uh, Marionette Liqueurs, but mm. also, I mean, at the Australian Steel Spirits Awards, which you're now the head judge of. Um, I am. I've, you were once a head judge, weren't you? Yeah. I, I was. I was one of the earlier ones. Yeah. Uh, oh, right. <laughs> many more. Many more accomplished people have come since me. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. So, tell us. Um, for people who don't know what the Australian Distilled Spirits Awards are, can you give us a little idea of what that is? Uh, the Australian Distilled Spirits Awards is, uh, I think it's the biggest awards in, in Australia. Um, yeah, it's got to be. Uh, it's got to be. For spirits, yeah. This year was so close to a 1,000 entries. We were, uh, I think wow. it was 16 short, and I said to the guys, if you had to let me enter my products, we would have got there, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but there might have been a bit of a, a bit of an issue. I can, yeah, conflict, I can see how apparently. conflict might be there. Yeah. What was that? And was there 900 of those with gins or something? Yeah, quite, quite <laughs> significant amount. Um, I mean, that's the evolution that we've seen. You know, pe- people love gin. Distillers love making gin because it's uh, – a, a lot quicker to turn around than, um, than you know, any age spirits. Um, they can mm. certainly have their own flair on, on that product. So there's a lot of gins out in the marketplace. Um, and it's uh, it, it makes it difficult to for a judging component. Like, you know, for example, in the new world category of gins or the contemporary category, um, you know, there's over 200 entries, which has got to be put across three different panels of four. Jeez, that's a lot. That's a lot of work. Yeah. So um, this year is the, the first year we've enacted the uh, the new role of our gin chair, um, which yeah. uh, we've invited uh, the old head judge, Mr. Sebastian Costello, to come back. Yeah. And he'll be the gin chair basically working with those four panels to get some kind of, uh, I guess, uh, I, I – see if everyone's judging from the same palette or the same base to make sure mm. it's a consistent approach. So, you know, there's no, yeah, if you know what I mean. So it's, um, yeah. Well, you got to like, cause I mean, the process with the, the awards is, um, it, there's, it's by consensus, right? Everyone goes to taste blind, yep. uh, by themselves and then they come back and then they sort of start handing out medals and stuff. Right. That's right. Yeah. And it's, um, and it's very much a collaborative approach, which is one of the things that I think is the most important is that you talk and discuss what you tasted. Everyone's going to have different palates or picking out different notes. And then um, I think that really helps to, to, to I guess, provide the feedback that you are giving to the distillers. And me personally, as somebody who's entered the awards for multiple years and also been a judge, the most invaluable thing mm-hmm. that you get to the point where I've changed recipes with marionette. Um, and, you know, from the feedback that we've got. and uh, So you, you've actually used that feedback to change it? 100%, 100%. Wow. It's an okay. investment for, you know, you can show your bottle of product, like I can show my bottle of cassis to Mr. Sammy Bygrave and mm. he can taste it and tell me it's delicious, but you don't know whether he's telling the truth or not. Yeah. yeah um, except yeah. for when you see him, you know, sneaking the, the bottle left over from a tasting to take <laughs> home. Well, especially that Bygrave character. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So, um, yeah. yeah, having uh, that unfiltered <laughs> advice, uh, uh then uh, it really does help. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah, it's a, a great opportunity for brands to get feedback to see how they can further develop their products. What kind of picture has uh, your involvement in the awards over the last few years given you about the the, the scene for Australian craft spirits at the moment? 
booming would be a, an understatement. <laughs> but there's got to be a bust at some point, right? There's, there's a yeah. lot of distilleries out there that, you know, there they is. never even get across my desk or, or, other, or get yeah. on the shelves at Dan's and that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly. I mean, I think, but you know, n- not every distillery is going to be four pillars. Uh, that's the thing to keep in mind too. Yeah. Like, you know, there's going to yeah. be uh, distilleries that are going to be happy out in the bush, um, you know, with the local tourism trade, making a few bottles of gin and selling some product online. Mm. And that's fine. That's great, you know. Um, uh, you can build a business off that? Well, I mean, if you now you can with the, well, w- uh, with the excise rebate, you know. Um, right. uh, well, that certainly helps towards being able to do that. Um, you know, so the, it's, uh, this year's, uh, I think the first year or maybe it was last year, the, the, it was basically being put on parity with the wine, uh, industry saying that you can get $350,000 worth of excise back. Mm. The difference is you achieve that far quicker, um, in the spirits industry than what you do in the wine industry because, uh, the wine industry of wet taxes, 29%. And look, I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth because, uh, you know, we start to get that from the government and that's wonderful. And um, uh, uh, and it is quite supportive of, uh, of distillers to be able to grow. So, look, there's um, when it's going to reach bust, I don't know, Sammy, but there's uh, an yeah. awful lot of gins out there and I just hope it doesn't reach bust. I hope it reaches bust for the inter- inter- international producers um i'm sure you do uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know the 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 bombays and the tank rays of the world they got enough money elsewhere you know let, let, let us have them all here in australia they'll be fine they'll be yeah. fine so um yeah that's a and there, look other trends um you mentioned on that uh, we're certainly starting to see is agave is a big one i think um mm. to, to well, that's, that's sebastian rayburn again you know well he's one of many is that he, are doing it um yeah but uh, he's certainly i guess the uh vocal <laughs> biggest one that i know of um and i think they'll be releasing stuff this year mm. but, but he's been saying that for the last year or yeah. two so um but there are other people that are <laughs> yeah. uh pulling in um whether it be agave syrup or they're just harvesting uh, locally stuff on a smaller scale. Um, mm. I mean, given that Mexico doesn't really need to send it to Australia, they can send it over the border to the US and sell it out pretty swiftly that uh, um, mm. whether we get as much as we need, then uh, if that's a growth category, then domestic production is probably the only way forward. Yeah. It's interesting because, I mean, there's, you know, I've seen some conversations online about uh, whether or not we should be, like, you know, producing a spirit that comes from, another place with a whole culture attached to it and mm. that sort of thing. I mean, and I could see that argument, but also, I mean, that's also, you know, if, if that was the case, whiskey would never have left Scotland, you know? Well, it's true, you know, and, and vermouth would have never left China where that was the first place that uh, Wormwood and wine was discovered. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know, I guess as long as you're um, playing on to the traditions and uh, then I, me personally, I think it's, uh, it's great for the category um, to see it evolve throughout the world. Yeah, I don't think we need any, need any sort of um, tacky kind of old, old, outdated Mexican stereotypes when people are going to no. be selling Australian stuff. No. And I'm sure we won't have that, no. especially not from the, the stuff that, you know, Seb Rayburn will be doing. Indeed, indeed. Mm. Um, what, are, what are the opportunities out there at the moment for new products, do you think? If, you, if there was a bartender, they came up to you and were like, look, I'd love to get into the booze game like you are. Mm. I'd love to, you know. What, uh, are there any areas that you'd advise them to sort of have a look at? Look, I mean, I think that whole low to no category, which is just the unicorn at the moment, and everyone's saying it's got massive growth. And mm. look, I've, I, it's, a, it's a category that it is definitely going to grow. It's, it will not grow, but evolve. Um, yeah. 
it's going to be an interesting space over the next couple of years as we've started from, you know, as much as we've had low alcohol over the years and vermouth is a prime example, it's um, people are now mm. starting to turn towards, you know, uh, mid-strength beer. It's been around for 20, 30 years, you know, um, and now we have non-alcoholic beer. Mm. Non-alcoholic spirits, are they hitting the mark as a replacement? Um, I don't know. Um, uh, uh, some people will say yes. A lot of people will say no. Um, is there room for moving that category? Definitely. But it's, it, that category itself is in such infancy um, that uh, I think yeah. there's a lot of room to evolve and manoeuvre and evolve. And it's going to be a generational thing too, isn't it? We're starting, yeah. Everyone talks about the, the younger generation aren't as drinking as much as uh, us red-faced uh, older generation. Yeah. <laughs> um, Things so, are different today. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. it's it's it, it's definitely something to watch out for in, in a space that's going to evolve over time. And you know, what's going to win out? Is it going to be non-alcoholic wine? Is it going to be um, you know mid-strength gin and tonic cans? Uh, is going to be you know sh- uh, shrubs, which uh, seem to work well in a bar, but don't really work well in the off-premise? But yeah, there's uh, so much um, there's so much in that sector that I think. Yeah. Uh, uh, needs a bit of exploring. Would you? Is that something that Marionette would be looking at? Because I mean, it's got to be a hop, skip, and a jump to create an cordial from a liqueur, right? Um, it certainly is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not too far off. But um, I think there's a lot more that we want to do in the liqueur space before we would uh, want to uh, look at any other categories. You know, it was always yeah. my dream to own the back bar of liqueurs. Because uh, as you know, Sammy, you know, I, I like to flirt around the edges. I use, you know, I have a vermouth company and a liqueur company. I'm not the star of the show. I'm, yep. a, I'm a bit of a shrinking violet, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, many ways I'd describe you. That's probably not one of them. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's get to the sort of last question for you before I let you go. Yep. Uh, it's kind of like the Boothby question I ask everyone. Yep. Uh, what makes a great bar in your opinion? And then, but more importantly, what makes Sean Byrne happy in a bar? Oh, what makes Sean Byrne happy in a bar? Uh, maybe- yeah, but like what are, what are the things you look for in a bar with your manager's hat on? But then what makes you happy as well? Oh, when I say made no marionette on the back bar. That makes- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. I should have seen that coming, yeah. huh? <laughs> um, no, uh, happy staff. If, uh, happy staff uh, means a happy place. That uh, makes it comfortable. If people enjoy being there, you know, then they enjoy serving, they enjoy doing what they're doing. So it's just happy staff. You know, they can make you feel comfortable. Yeah. If people want to be at work, you're going to enjoy being in their workplace. Yeah. That's pretty simple. That is. And that's what makes you happy in a bar as well? That's what makes me happy, mate. I just, uh, I'm happy when everyone else is happy, Sammy. <laughs> well, thank you very much for <laughs> making me happy and spending uh, some time talking to us today about your career and, and, and Maid and I and Marionette. Are you going to watch any other brands that start with them? I know, right? Jesus. <laughs> well, you know, th- there was the, the working title was for, for Marionette was Wallflower for a little while there. Um, and oh. that's just an upside down M though. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, my wife's told me no more new brands otherwise you'll be looking for a new wife so um, <laughs> yeah, very good yeah. well I'm glad you've got a boss yeah indeed All right. <laughs> well thanks again Sean no worries thanks for having us Sammy thanks again to Sean for the chat and thank you to you for listening if you enjoy these podcasts please share them to a colleague or a friend I'm always keen to spread the word about the podcast and about Boothby and I'd love your help with that until next time This has been Drinks at Work from Boothby.